Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. How long do you leave your cat home alone? I know people who love their animals and they're like, oh, I'm just going to leave for the weekend. You know, I'll just leave a lot of food and water and it'll be fine. This is 720 WGN. Thanks for joining us. Every other Friday, Dr. Dana Barbel joins us. She is the chief veterinary officer for the North American Veterinary Community, also with Chicago's Exotic Pet Vets. If you have a question, 312-981-7200, you can call or you can text in. So what is appropriate, Dr. Varble, when it comes to none of us would leave our dogs home for a weekend or five or six days, but I think people do it with cats pretty regularly. Yeah, you know, cats are more independent creatures, right? And we love that about them. Drives us crazy, but we also love that about them. Um, So, you know, they can spend more time alone than, say, your dog. Now, granted, most dogs are going to have to be taken outside multiple times a day, either on a leash or in the backyard, and that's going to require human supervision. So oftentimes that really limits how long a dog would be left alone. But cats, whose life you know, pretty much takes place in your house, we definitely have to think about what's appropriate. And I like the idea of no more than 24 hours, and I'll tell you why. If something happens to your cat, Uh, They get sick. They get stuck somewhere. A door closes. A water bowl spills. uh, Automatic feeder dysfunction. 24 hours still gives me as a veterinarian a good chance of being able to respond to most emergencies. Um, It gives you a chance to just go, oh, here's some water. Hopefully you're okay. Let's bring up your food, things like that. So I think if you have someone stopping by your house at least once a day, you're in pretty good shape. Okay, perfect. There's a few exceptions, though. Yeah, if you've got an older cat or a kitten, eh, you're probably going to need more attention than just that. But that's oh, a great start. Especially a kitten. They can cause all oh, kinds of goodness, trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah 24 hours in a kitten's life, you could have. You might not even have a house to come back to. My goodness, yeah. <laughs> when your cat is squinting their eyes at you, what does that mean? They do that quite often. Mm-hmm. And I look at them, and, and it seems to be for a variety <laughs> of reasons sometimes. You're right. It can be a variety of reasons. Sometimes that's, I think of that sometimes it's the equivalent of a cocked head in a dog. You know, when, when dogs touch their head, they're thinking about what you're saying. They're trying to give it more thought. They're trying to think about how to respond to you. When cats squint their eyes, sometimes they're, they're doing, oh, I got a dog talking to me now. Um, <laughs> Is that your big one? That's my big one, yeah. She decided she wants to be on the radio, too, today. So I'll move to a spot where she can't contribute as much to the conversation. Oh, that's okay. But, we can you know. hear you clearly on the phone. And, and that's <laughs> she weighs, what, like well over 100 pounds, right? She's about 100 pounds these days, okay. yeah. So when she talks, she makes herself well-known. But, yeah. So... Cats squint anyway to to think about what you're saying to um, to kind of process what you're saying. 
Sometimes they'll do it to say, I'm, I'm getting nervous, get away from me. Sometimes they'll squint in pain, um, either just a pain in their body or literally a pain in their eye. Or sometimes squinting is just that the sun's too bright, same as us. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've really got to think about what else is going on with your cat at the moment. Okay, we have a text that said we, and I don't know that I'm pronouncing this right, we rescued a sulcata tortoise. How yeah, can, great job, yep. How can I tell if his tail is jammed under his shell mm. or if he's just naturally holding it in to protect it? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question because for those of you that haven't seen these tortoises, their shells are remarkable. They have a lot of robust points and edges on them. And when they're outside in the wild, they use those edges and points on their shell to kind of, to literally to chop down bushes and trees and cause damage to plantation, to plants that they then eat. So their shells in, as when we have them as pets, can develop abnormally. And we can see it actually their tails get caught between the curved points of their shell and cause problems. Now, if the tortoise is relatively new to you, they still might be holding body parts in just because they're a little shy still, a little nervous about their surroundings. So I would say if you've got normal stools, normal urine, just keep an eye on it at least for a couple weeks. Make an appointment to see your vet for their usual annual checkup and have them check it out and go from there. But sometimes they just hold their tails in out of nervousness, especially in a new place. Awesome. Dr. Dana Varble is with us, Chicago's exotic pet vet. Somebody said their dog was just diagnosed as being diabetic. The vet suggested that I do a freestyle Libre patch on him. Does this sound reasonable? It does. So this is something you probably, if if you remember last year, these were the big commercials. Actually, I believe at the Super Bowl last year. So these are the diabetic monitors that were originally developed for people. They go on the skin and test basically sugars in the space under your skin, very close to your blood sugars. So fascinating thing is we found out very quickly you know, some very enterprising veterinarians went, wait, cats and dogs have the same type of structure around their skin, and it also matches their blood sugar. So we began very quickly actually using them in cats and dogs. And there's some initial cost, but the results and the information you get from it are really, really valuable. So for it's kind of a bigger upfront cost, but it can actually help you manage um, their diabetes long-term even better than just following up with your vet a whole bunch of times in one day. Because we know that what happens at home doesn't match quite what happens at the vet. So it's a great way to monitor blood sugar at home. Dr. Dana Varble is with us, 312-981-7200, a whole host of questions coming up. But first, Mary's got to check on weather and traffic. You know why Brian chose that one, right? He spins some music on our show because it's the turtles. That's why. And we had a turtle question for Dr. Dana Varble. She's Chicago's exotic pet vet. She joins us every other Friday. 
And boy, this is a tough question, Dr. Varble, but someone said they're fostering a golden retriever who has aggression issues, which is so weird for a golden retriever. That's my input there. Um, They said he hasn't bitten anyone and is presently on Prozac. We are his last chance. Can you offer any advice to give this dog his best life? Did I lose first Dr. and Barbara? foremost to those? Yeah. Well, let's first thank people for taking on those those tough cases because you know it's not everyone that could even try and tackle that issue because you know if you have children or other dogs or cats those those types of things can be real almost impossible in certain households. So good for you for trying. You know, great that you're trying medications. By all means, keep trying with training. You know, I think the biggest issue with aggression is to, one, you need a lot of patience. You need to move slowly. Don't expect big changes. Little tiny changes add up. And before you know it, hopefully over months, you've got a dog that you can work with. Two, the other thing is I think sometimes we're we're really scared of using muzzles. But especially those open cage muzzles, can really make a huge difference because, one, it just increases the safety issue around a dog that is nervous, anxious, and and may bite. Most of the time, aggression is not from true aggression, but has to do with being afraid of something. So the other thing is start keeping a diary of what you think those triggers might be because it can be really hard to figure out, well, why on Saturday was my dog fine, but on Sunday – In seemingly the same situation, something changed and we had a reaction. So take your time, use the muzzle, and, and man, just start recording every little thing to see if you can find out what it is that's really the underlying root of that problem. That is great advice. And, you know, they make those Mm -hmm. muzzles that have a silly face on them so that when people approach your dog, they're kind of giggling and smiling. They're not like, (gasps) oh. It's got a muzzle on. Yeah. I'm scared because, of course, the dog senses that fear and it puts them in a fearful mode as well. So, exactly, I, they're like, "What are we? What are we afraid of?" Oh my right, gosh, right, I got to be right. worried now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gail, Gail's on the phone. Um, she has a question about Labrella. It's a pet medication. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, yeah. Help, tell me about your three-year-old terrier. You're on with Doctor Varble. Hello. Oh, Gail, and maybe you're not the one with the terrier. Tell Dr. Varble about your dog. I don't know what happened. We'll have to get back to her. Well, yeah. Okay. We can talk about Labrella a little bit. Um, it's, uh, it's a very new medication. Um, i actually been using it on my dog. It's a new pain medication that works through a very new way of it, it's a monoclonal antibody that affects one of the the pain signals called nerve growth factor so it can take quite a bit of time um it's a once a month injection and oftentimes it takes two or three months or even more before you see effects so hopefully that helps the person who's got the terrier problem and answers a little bit of it awesome and dr Barbara, lisa um, Yes, yes. Is this Gail? It is Gail. Yeah. So did, you, did you hear what I she just said? And a, yeah, my dog is nine and a half, and he's been through hip surgeries, TPLOs on his knees. This is sort of a last-ditch effort for us because right now he's 
he's been on Rimadil for years, and they switched him to Meloxicam. Now it's the uh, Mobility Bites and the CBD chewables, which he hates. So he's pretty arthritic, and one of my girlfriend's dogs just developed cancer after being on this medication for three months. I'm not saying it's connected, but if you get on that Facebook page, it says so many horrible things about Librella. I'm just really scared to try it, but I know there are other cases as well. Absolutely. You know, I think this is the the thing about any new medication, especially a medication we're going to tend to use in older animals, right? Because if we're using it on patients with arthritis, chances are we're using it mostly on older dogs. And in fact, it's not labeled for dogs under a year old for good reason, because they're still growing. We can't use it on them. So when we use medications on older dogs, unfortunately, what happens is that sometimes other illnesses pop up. And you do start to second-guess yourself. Oh, my gosh, is it due to the medication? But usually this medication went through some really rigorous testing. And you know what's more important is that they've been using this medication in Europe for several years. So they're extremely confident that it's very safe to use. Now, is it going to work in every patient? Absolutely not. Can they still have an allergy to it? Unfortunately, yes. Could they still have other problems with it? Unlikely, but it's possible. So especially if you have a patient like you just described, he's had a lot of of joint problems, I would absolutely try it. I think the benefits far outweigh the risks. Excellent. Susan's the one with the three-year-old terrier. Susan, you're on with Dr. Varble. Okay. Yes, I have a three-year-old Parson Russell terrier. He's He's perfect, but this this has started happening, and I don't know what to think of it. I'm a dog walker and a dog sitter, so I've taken care of several dogs over the last 20 years, but I've never seen this before. He will get little spots on his um, skin under his hair. that You can't see them. There's no redness, no rash, no sore, but they get real hot. And I looked up hot spots, and, of course, that, you know, they have the sore, you know, those are like a, I don't know, virus yeah. or an infection or something. But um, he just gets like hot spots. And when I touch him, then he'll turn around his head like he wants to nip at me. And he'll get down on the floor and lay down on the floor to cool off. Hmm. So it sounds yeah. like a little bit like, I mean, it's definitely a skin problem. Probably not hot spots. For those of you that have had a dog with hot spots, you know, they're, they're generally, like you said, they're open sores. And they typically are a combination of an irritant or allergy and bacteria that then kind of feed on each other and make a, to be honest, a big old mess. These sound more, I'm wondering a little bit if these could be either hives or some other allergic dermatitis, only because two things stand out. You have a dog that's basically just a young adult, and young adults are the most common age we see allergies happen. And they could be food allergies or just environmental allergies. And it may be something that, you know, only that comes and goes. For example, if they're only allergic to mold, well, if it's not moldy outside, you're not going to see any symptoms, which may be why they come and go. And in those types of little spots, it could be hives, it could be like a little rash. They can be very hot. And so sometimes you'll see dogs with hives lay down or try and put their feet in water or other silly things. Because just like us, if you had an, you know, an allergic skin reaction, you can imagine it's actually pretty warm. 
So see if you can kind of <laughs> coordinate uh, the appearance of these lesions with a, with a vet trip to see if they can have some clue when they really see them. Because I would love to get my eyes on those before I decided what's going on. Okay, and Dr. Varbo, we got to jump to news, but one last question. Okay. Someone wants to know if they can bring their dog back to dog parks. Do we still have to worry about the respiratory issue? Great question. We're not seeing a big outbreak of the respiratory of the respiratory illness right now. We're still getting some clues on it. But I think if you have a young, healthy dog, and again, as the weather turns better, you're ready to start reintroducing dog parks, now is a great time to do so. Just you know, take the same precautions you always would. Nothing and people new. can... People can find you at ChicagoExoticPetVet.com. ExoticPetVet.com or NAVC.com is my my other position. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend, Lisa. Thanks so much, everyone. That is Dr. Dana Varble. She can let her dog back in the house now. Steve's News is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. WGN.